Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. I spend time in the Word. I want to spend time praying and just having this communion with Jesus. Because what's going to happen is it's going to fill up in me and then that's going to overflow into all areas of my life. And you got lost people in your family. You got loved ones that you just, your heart breaks for them. Well, then pursue Jesus on behalf of them. I love these little stories where it's a mom and she's like, my daughter's even possessed. She is suffering. I will find him wherever he's at. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. There's nothing like the love of Jesus that has saved us from a life of darkness. Yet, are there those in your life that also need that saving grace? Jesus came to rescue all people, but he invites us to come alongside the rescue mission. Today, Pastor James encourages us to pursue Jesus on behalf of our family and friends, just like the woman that approached Jesus about her daughter. Will you stand in the gap for the ones that need the love of Jesus? Now, here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 7, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. going through the gospel of Mark, you know that, you're in chapter 7. So we were walking through these rules and regulations concerning the Pharisees and how they had an issue with Jesus's disciples. They didn't wash their hands before they ate dinner, which is gross, yes, okay, but it's not breaking God's law. That's the problem. What we discovered with some of the Pharisees and the scribes is that they were elevating their traditions above God's law, meaning this now trumps this, right? The law is good, but this is better. Well, why would you say that? You got to be crazy because that sounds blasphemous to me. They're like, no, 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 no. It's not blasphemous. We're just bringing clarity to the word of God. It's like, no, it seems like you're adding to the word of God things that weren't there. And that's what they were doing. And that's why Jesus broke all their rules. And that's why they hated Jesus, because he didn't follow their rules. He didn't follow their traditions and their rituals and all that stuff. He fully lived out the law. I mean, he accomplished it. He never broke God's commandments. He never broke God's law. He lived a sinless, perfect life. But if you were to ask the Pharisees and the scribes back then, they'd be like, oh, he's the worst. He's the worst offender. But Jesus taught them that it's not what goes in that defiles you, but all defilement comes from the heart. And it doesn't matter what you take in. The reality of this is that the defilement's already there. Defilement showed up within your heart the day you were born. The day you were born. There's no getting around it. You were born, I was born a sinner. That's just it. That's the truth. But praise God, there's an answer for that. And his name is Jesus. And it was his death on the cross. And so he humbles these Pharisees and the scribes by clarifying what the word of God actually talks about and how they missed it. And he would do that in other parts as well. We know from the Sermon on the Mount, he was bringing clarification because these guys had it all wrong. Everything was external. You know, as long as I haven't done this or I didn't do that, then I'm good. And Jesus is like, no, the issue is your heart. The issue is your heart. Well, I've never murdered anybody. Yeah, but have you hated somebody? 
because God sees them as the same. And they're like, oh, we didn't know that. Yeah, exactly, right? So they were missing it all the time. But he schools them, and then he also, he clarifies it for his disciples as well. And that's where we get that. It's not what goes in that defiles you. It's what comes out of your heart. And we praise God that Jesus would die on the cross so that we could have a new heart. Because these old ones, they're no good. They're no good. We need new ones. We need new ones. And that's what he came for, is to give you a new heart. So you go from that, and then we're going to transition into two stories of healing that take place, one within a Gentile region, uh, and then another one is just a funny one. It's crazy. But let's look at this first story of this uh, Gentile woman, okay? Verse 24, I'm going to read from New Living Translation. There's some things I like about it, and then in this story, there's some things I don't really agree with how they translate it, but I'll share that with you later. Verse 24 says this, then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. So Tyre and Sidon. He didn't want anybody to know which house he was going to stay in, but he couldn't keep it a secret, right? So Jesus is going into the region where it's heavily populated by Gentiles, and he's going to stay at somebody's house. We don't know whose house. Jesus didn't want anybody to know where he was going to stay. Why? Because well, we already know why. We've been walking through the gospel. And every time he shows up in a town or a village, and it doesn't matter which house he's staying in, people are pressing in to get to the healer. They got to get their people to the healer. And I understand that. I don't fault these guys at all for that. But Jesus is like, we're going up to this area. We're going to stay here. Don't tell anybody. But here's the reality. If Jesus is in your house, you can't hide it. You can't hide him. I mean, that's a good practical application point for you and I. Number one, if Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, why would you want to hide him? Why would we want to hide him? But we're guilty of that, aren't we, as Christians? Because sometimes it's embarrassing. Why? What's embarrassing about it? He died on the cross for your wretched sins. Like, you should be shouting that from the mountaintops. Like, yeah, no, I want everybody to know that I am connected to Jesus. This was a ministry thing. And we understand as he's performing all these miracles, his popularity is growing and growing and growing. And we've already had moments that have taken place where they've wanted to push him into leadership because he's the Messiah, which in their minds, they were thinking, well, you're going to kick out the Romans. So we want to elevate you quickly to be our ruler so you can get rid of all these Romans. And he's like, I didn't come for that. I didn't come for that. I came to die. And so he's staying in somebody's house in this region, trying to keep it a secret, but you know how that goes. As soon as you even, the moment you tell somebody, hey, I have a secret, it's already gone. Like they're already sharing it. They already had their phone out and they're like, yeah, go ahead, tell me what was that thing? Secret. We've lost the concept of what that even means anymore, right? Like, no, this is personal, private information. Don't tell anybody, okay? Word gets out, verse 25, right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Here's what I want you to do. Turn over to Matthew chapter 15, because I like his elaboration on this story. Same story. Matthew chapter 15. Mark gives us a little bit of the details, but Matthew goes a little bit deeper into this interaction she has with Jesus, and this is absolutely vital. I love this. This is one of the coolest stories in your Bible. So it's kind of cool that you get to see it from Mark's perspective, but also from Matthew's perspective, and how two different individuals, now Mark with Peter writing the Gospel of Mark, 
or looking back on the story, and, and one sees it like this, and then the other one's like, yeah, but there's these other details. And you're like, well, isn't that contradiction? No, it's just more evidence is all it is. It's another person's perspective. And as Matthew is writing it in verse 21 of 15, he says, Jesus left Galilee, went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading. And here's how she's pleading. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. That's not a title you can use with him. You're a Gentile. Son of David, well, that applies to the Jews. That applies to the Jews. And so here's the thinking on this. I remember listening to John Corson teach on this chapter. He brought out this fantastic point. It's as almost as if she has heard about Jesus and has heard how other people have addressed Jesus and they've gotten a result. And she's using, she's just mimicking what she's heard. Son of David. Well, no, you don't know him like that. That's what other people are using, and so that's how I'm going to address you. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I think there's an innocence to that as well. But what I do find fascinating is here's a Gentile woman who's like, it seems as though she's trying to like, okay, what's the magic word? What's the magic word? It seems like son of David, that seems like that works. No, no, it's not about that. There's no magic words. There's no magic words. There's a personal relationship. There's a personal relationship with him. And that's where she ends up. That's the beauty of it. So you can come to Jesus and you've heard how other people have addressed him or you've witnessed how other people, well, this is how they worship or this is how, so I think I'll just, maybe that's how I'm supposed to do this. And the beauty about this relationship with Jesus is you grow into this thing. And then you soon discover like, that's not me. That's not me. That doesn't fit me. I, I spent most of my preaching time in ministry like mimicking other people. Early on, you have, I mean, it's like teaching your kid how to ride a bike. You put training wheels on, right? I mean, if you're a nice parent, I guess. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're just like, yeah, it's bumps and scratches. It's fine. They'll be fine. It's a short fall for them. Ideally, you maybe put some training wheels on this thing. And it was the same thing for me as a pastor because I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up in church. I had like maybe a year of church experience before I got saved. And the pastor I grew up with, well, that dude's crazy. He's wild. I mean, you can't even mimic that. Like, he is who he is. But what I discovered was there's all these other pastors out there. And I'm like, oh, man, okay. So when I'm putting together my sermons and all this stuff, then well, I'm just, I just got to sound like them. I just got to sound like them. And you could do that for so long. Unfortunately, there's probably a lot of pastors who are still just trying to sound like other guys. The lesson I learned through other pastors, and obviously through just the relationship I have with the Lord Jesus is, he's like, that's not who I made you to be. I created you like this, with a personality like this. How about you just be who I created you to be? And that was something that set me free in ministry when it was like, oh, wait, this is like... I know it's a relationship, but no, this is like a real intimate relationship. And it's a beautiful thing when we come to that realization of like, how do you feel comfortable worshiping? Well, then worship him like that. You like raising your hands? Raise your hands. You like kneeling down? Kneel down. You like waving flags? Wave flags. Just do it back there. Um, 
I mean, I don't want anybody getting smacked. Or I don't want to get sued for flag you know, injuries. No, I'm just kidding. But it's this thing of like, who are you in Christ? Who are you in Christ? What's your devotional style that works for you? Well, Pastor James does it like this. Well, don't model it after me. How does that work for you? Reading through the one-year Bible, I talk about this all the time. What method works for you? Then embrace that method. You have to understand, how has he made you and how has he made your brain to work? It's probably not going to work like mine because this thing is messed up, right? Like it's, like, it's everywhere. You may have your own method. The point of it all is this. Just keep going to Jesus. You're going to worship? Worship Jesus. Whatever posture or state you just worship Jesus. You come to him as one who knows him personally, a son, a daughter. This lady is a Gentile, and she doesn't know him personally. So she's just coming to him with what she knows and what she's probably heard or seen. And she's a mother who's desperate for her daughter because her daughter's demon-possessed. And it's still staying in Matthew, she goes on to say, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. So you can understand this mother's anguish. I mean, she's going to do whatever it takes to find a remedy for her daughter. And what that meant for her was going and pursuing Jesus because she's heard good things about him. And we talk about this a lot, especially as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. Man, are we aggressively pursuing Jesus for the sake of other people, for the sake of others? You will benefit from aggressively pursuing a relationship with Jesus. You will benefit from that. But my goodness, we have to do that for the sake of other people as well. I spend time in the Word. I want to spend time praying and just having this communion with Jesus Because what's going to happen is it's going to fill up in me, and then that's going to overflow into all areas of my life. And you got lost people in your family. You got loved ones that you just, your heart breaks for them. Well, then pursue Jesus on behalf of them. I love these little stories where it's a mom, and she's like, my daughter's even possessed. She is suffering. I will find him wherever he's at. Remember the woman with the bleeding issue? She was unclean. She wasn't supposed to be around anybody, but she pressed through the crowd to get to Jesus, to touch the hem of his garment. She was going to get to him because he had the solutions. You and I, we need to get to him. We need to get to his feet because he is the solution. He is the solution. The interaction between Jesus and her is a little bit strange, if we're honest. Verse 23 says, but Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Didn't even acknowledge her. You're like, how rude. No, not rude at all. He's drawing faith out of this woman. He's doing something here. Don't automatically think like, oh man, because then it seems like it's going to get a lot ruder as we get into the story, if that's even a word. The disciples, God love these guys. These guys are amazing. They, t- they urge Jesus to send her away. Tell her to go away. Jesus, she won't stop talking. She won't quit. Dude, send her away. They have a bad habit of telling Jesus what to do. As disciples, you do not get to tell the teacher what to do. As Christians, we do not get to tell Jesus what to do. But yet, there's a percentage of my prayer life that is telling Jesus what to do. 
They're like, she's bothering us with all her begging. Where is their compassion? They heard her story. She's like, my daughter's suffering. She's demon-possessed. And they're like, oh, oy vey, like, Jesus, get rid of this woman. She is annoying us. Wait, you just learned the lesson about the sheep not having a shepherd and Jesus showing compassion on the crowds. And all they did back then was complain about the crowds. And now they're complaining about the Gentile woman. Jesus addresses her, verse 24, says, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came, here's the key, she came and worshiped him. She fell at his feet, pleading again, Lord, no son of David, Lord, help me, help me. And now you can turn back over to Mark chapter 7, because really this is kind of where Mark picks up that story. So now you have a little bit more context within this little miracle So he's in the Tyre region. We saw that in verse 24. We went through 25. Verse 25 says, right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet, right? Okay, so there we go. Fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. So you note that Mark and Peter don't include the part about the disciples saying, Jesus, can you just get rid of this lady, right? They didn't include that. That's fine. That's okay. It says, since she was a Gentile born in Syrian Phoenicia, or she's Syrian Phoenician, Jesus told her, first, I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. I came to the Jews first. It isn't right to take food from the children and to throw it to the dogs. And you're like, oh, Jesus, what? No, why? Like, you already ignored her once, and are you calling her a dog? Let's clarify this, okay? There was a really, really ugly thing back in the day, in these times, biblical times, where the Jews would refer to Gentiles as dogs. And the term dogs that they would use is more of scavengers. Especially back then, there were dogs that would just roam around freely. And they were mean, they were aggressive, and you just had to protect your children because, I mean, they'd come in, they'd try to snatch your kid, right? I mean, it was, they're dangerous. And that's the term that the Jews would use towards the Gentiles, They're dogs, scavengers, filthy. Nobody wants them. We don't want you around. And we know that even there is um, some rabbis back in the day would even go so far as to say the only purpose of a Gentile is to fuel the fires of hell. Like, that's what they thought. So, I mean, what's amazing is, I hope you understand this, because sometimes we are just so immersed within the little box we live in and we know that like racism's a problem, but do you know racism has always been a problem? Do you understand that it's a global epidemic? We think of like, well, oh, just America and racism. No, it's beyond us, and it's been beyond us for thousands of years. It's always been a problem. And I don't care what group it is, this group has always hated that group, and that group has always hated this group, and this. We just hate each other. Why? Because we're sinners. Because we're sinners. Was that God's design? Of course not. Of course not. These Jews, they hated the Gentiles. And I, before you think like, oh man, those, but the Gentiles hated the Jews. It went both ways and both parties were wrong. They both were wrong. So Jesus uses this term dog, but he doesn't use the scavenger, you know, that dog. He's not talking about that. What he says here is, 
it's not right to take food from the children and to throw it to the dogs. That term for dogs is a totally different one, and he's referencing little puppies, the family pet that you have that lives inside your house that you maybe have a special purse for, and he goes in there, and he goes everywhere with you. He's talking about that dog. You're still like, it's still a dog, but you understand what he's saying. Jesus never referred to the Gentiles as that other kind of dog term. And right here, he's just letting this lady know. He's like, look, this is like a term of endearment towards her. And we miss that sometimes. We think like, well, it sounds offensive. Yeah, but it's not meant to be that way. And you can imagine when 20, almost 21 years ago, I married Nellie Peasley, and I'm introduced to her family. And the weirdest thing comes to like realization for me is when I hear her dad talking to his three daughters. That's all he has, three daughters, poor guy, outnumbered, you know, his whole life, right? But I'd hear him referencing them as like mountain goat and cement head and all this stuff. And I'm like, what's going on? And, but they're like, oh, those are terms of endearment. Like, that's just what we call each other. It's loving terms. And from an outsider's perspective, you're like, that doesn't sound nice at all. But then when you're in, you're like, oh, yeah, I get it. Um, I totally get it, right? It's almost like that, where Jesus is like, no, you're, you're not the scavenger. That's not how I see you. How I see you is with value. I care about you. Her response is amazing, amazing. And Jesus is going to the Jew first. And I think sometimes more specifically, he's talking about his ministry to the disciples at this point in time and his teaching them at this moment in time. I think that's what he was referencing. You know, and yes, it's true that he came to the Jews first and then it would go to the Gentiles. We understand that. If you don't, just read through the book of Acts and it becomes as clear as day. But I think he's talking about like these moments that he has with his twelve. And I think technically they're the children he's referencing right now, where he's like, look, I'm feeding these guys right now, okay? I'm trying to take care of these guys, because these guys need a lot of help. They need a lot of help, because they just wanted me to kick you out. Like, they wanted me to get rid of you, okay? So it's better that I help them first, okay? And, you know, and then she's like, she comes back with this great reply, verse 28. That's true, Lord. And I love that. That's a, it's a way of ascribing humility towards him. She's answering in a humble way, but also to her, she's submitting to his lordship. So really what she's saying within that little phrase there is like, if you say no, I'm okay with that no, because you're Lord. Something's changed. She's now worshiping him and she's now addressing him as Lord. But she says, that's true, Lord. But however, even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. And we may think of like, well, what's so great about that statement? Well, here's Jesus, the Messiah, and he is, he is amazed at her statement. He is wowed. That only happens two times in your Gospels. Jesus himself is like amazed at the faithful response, and they were Gentiles, to him. And here was the other one. New Living Translation says, good answer. And I like that, like, good answer. Wow, that's a great response. That's an incredible response. That's a very logical response. Yes, because if you have little puppies living in your house, and if you have children, you know those dogs are well-fed. You understand that. You get it. Even if you don't have kids, those dogs are well-fed. There's plenty. And what she was saying to Jesus was this, I understand that, Jesus, and I respect that. However, there is so much 
for everyone. There's more than enough for everyone. We're so glad that you joined us for a look at the Gospel of Mark here on Bread for the Broken. Pastor James will continue to take you verse by verse through this New Testament book about Jesus. There's so much to learn. We pray that you've heard something today that's drawn you deeper into your relationship with the Lord. Do you have questions about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus? Well, we would love to hear from you and talk more. So go to breadforthebroken.com and click on contact to leave a message for us. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. Or if you're in the Galveston area, we would love to get to know you in person too. Join us on Sundays or Thursdays as we study God's Word together at Calvary Galveston. You'll find service times, more information, and directions at our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. We're so grateful for our listening audience. And if this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you consider teaming up with us in a financial way? A lot is done to get these teachings out on the radio. And we're so grateful for those who feel led by God to contribute in that way. Simply go to the About tab on our website and you'll find the Donate link. We'd also like to ask you to be praying for us and for your fellow listeners. We can all use God's guidance and continued grace as we navigate this world with Him. Thanks for praying. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can also find it on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for tuning in today to Bread for the Broken.